I think uh, it's going to take me an extra hour to edit what four people say down into a podcast that still somehow has to be between 59 and 60 minutes. I'll just shut up. It'll make it three. We have to get 60 minutes out of this? Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Hello and welcome to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 269, the one in Shenandoah, Texas. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. I'm Keith McMillan, the longtime co-host, former player. I'm Frank Rossi. I have too many podcasts to name. I'm Greg Thomas. I'm D3Football.com chief bracketologist and curator of quick hits. There you go, curator of quick hits. I like that. And of course, you have uh, all joined us here for the Stag Bowl. I apologize, a little echo in the room, and that is just what's going to happen when we have four microphones open. I'm not one of those rich podcasters with a separate four-track recording device that allows me to record each of these separately. Um, the next set of sponsors maybe could take care of that. And then we might get back to doing a live show in 2020 in Canton, Ohio, but that will be another championship for another time. We're getting you ready for Stag Bowl 47, but before we do, I'd like to take this time to uh, remind people that this edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is brought to you by Gotta Have It at GottaHaveItFanFoams.com. I didn't bring a Gotta Have It fan foam. I had a, a, a suitcase full of stuff, and I already gave away the Whitewater one that I had in my possession. I was not going to bring the Mary Harden Baylor one because it looks really nice on the wall. Uh, Keith, of course, these are the, uh, the three-dimensional fan foams. They stack these layers of foam to give you this kind of thick three-dimensional looking thing that is a great representation of your school, or if you're a school, it's a representation of your brand. Yeah, and it's much better than a magnet or a sticker because it's something you can uh, hang on the wall, take it with you to the game, put it back on the wall when you get home. It's uh, lightweight, but also durable, and uh, just gives you that real official look and feel. So we're a big fan of Gotta Have It Fan Foams. And if you guys are interested, the uh, the other schools in D3 who don't already have this one, Pat's going to tell you how you guys can get signed up. I will. Uh, you can get signed up at uh, gottahaveitfanfoams.com, but I think that uh, the Wabash guy wants to say something. I do. I was really looking forward to seeing that wa- that Whitewater Fan Foam. It's not here, but maybe, uh, maybe this can start a tradition where that Whitewater Fan Foam can travel to D3 football.com live events around the around the nation during the season like certain flags do during other uh, pregame college Saturday shows the wall I mean you can take it off the wall and put it right back and you know travel with it Pat come on I did but here's the thing yeah so I took I, I took that whitewater one off the wall and I brought it to whitewater and I left it in the, the uh, friendly confines of the uh, one of the Whitewater coaches' offices, and it seemed like that was appropriate. So I wasn't going to bring the fan foam of somebody not participating and just kind of rub that in. I think the Mary Harden-Baylor folks who are here working, helping run this championship, already know that their team is not playing. And thanks to John Walleen for all the stuff he's done for us during this week. So if you want to get your own Gotta Have It fan foam for your school, you know what to do. There is, a, of course, a spot on the site where you as... Uh, an athletic director, a marketing and promotions person, someone in the football office, someone in the alumni office can go find out how to get this for your school because it's something you got to have. I'm super impressed that we've done a sponsor drop and an SID shout out before we've even told the listeners which two teams are playing in the stag. Well, now I imagine if you tune in <laughs> to the Around the Nation podcast, you know it is Wisconsin Whitewater and North Central on Friday night. 
it's a good thing that you said that because clearly I cannot be trusted to say that information on this podcast. I don't also call them Wisconsin Whitewater, which I never say. I never say the full thing. We always call them UW Whitewater, UW Dub, University of Pound the Rock, <laughs> Purple Power. They have so many other names besides uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. Yeah, so we are getting ready for this game coming up here on a Friday evening. That is a, a 7 p.m. Central Time kickoff, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, as always, and by always, I mean now 21 years running, the, uh, there will be a D3Football.com audio broadcast of this game. Keith and I, with Frank on the field, and Greg, I don't know, spotting or doing the halftime or doing all the other stuff, will be uh, broadcasting that game. And we'll have, of course, two hours worth of pregame coverage in which we will hand out virtually the Gallardi Trophy. We'll also announce who the uh, D3Football.com All-Americans are and all those great things. We'll talk with the coaches of both teams. We'll talk with players. And you'll hear from players on this podcast as well. So we are getting you ready for that big game, Stag Bowl 47, uh, here at a game in which, uh, you know, there's obviously lots of ways to get into this game. But one of the first things I want to mention is one of the things we learned this afternoon, Thursday afternoon, that as of this afternoon, only 982 tickets had been sold for this game. I cannot believe you are dropping that number on the podcast, Pat. It does. Um, it was a concern, I guess, by by moving the Stag Bowl or or letting a team that bid for it um, in Texas host the Stag Bowl. That was alleviated last season when close to 7,000 fans showed up to watch. Mary Harden Baylor meet, beat Mount Union in the Stag Bowl. Now, a lot of those fans were local. Mary Harden Baylor is in reasonable driving distance, day trip distance from here, even though it's in a different part of Texas. Uh, we're in the Houston suburbs. Mary Harden Baylor is mid state, central Texas. What would they call it? Uh, I don't know. It's Big. like north of Austin, but yeah. I don't know. I 35. Yeah. Um, and then Mount Union's familiar with going to the Stag Bowl, so there are probably Mount Union folks who book these trips. Um, in advance, or at least are very familiar with hitting that button while there's still a. I guess there's really no seven-day advance when you have uh, when you have the Stag Bowl when you have the semifinals on Saturday, Stag Bowl on Friday night. It's great for for getting that time slot on TV. I don't know, Pat, if you remember certain years where we'd get the 11 a.m. on yeah. Saturday, and then there were uh, there were some other time slots that were not ideal. So it's been in the Friday night time slot. For a while, it's a pretty big deal for the players to play under the lights, and you have a couple of days here in Shenandoah leading up to it um, that are a big deal for the players, and Shenandoah is doing a nice job of making the players feel like they're in a real true bowl game atmosphere. But if that attendance number doesn't come up before tomorrow, certainly won't look very good on television. A little disappointed. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I thought that the local gate would uh, drive up things a little bit better uh, here. Uh, and, you know, I just... I think if they could get some local schools, get some students, get some uh, people in 24 hours to show up and fill the stands, I think for optics reasons, it's going to be important to do that. Uh, if Shenandoah wants to bid for this game again, I think they need to do that fact. And uh, it sounds like there may be some interest in doing that for uh, this community. So we'll see what happens. I was told everything was bigger in Texas. I wouldn't expect a lot of um, pre-sale tickets for this event. I don't think that this is an event that is uh, in danger of selling out. Um, so I think you'll see a lot of the people traveling in, buying tickets at the gate on game day. Um, you know, and it may, it may be with, without a local-ish team here that 
the attendance is depressed a little bit, but North Central being a first-time team here in the Stag Bowl, they're going to have a decent crowd. And, you know, we may end up with, a, with, a, with an intimate but very enthusiastic crowd, particularly from uh, the first-timers over at North Central. That's a great way to put it, Greg, in that, um, you know, you, are, you, you had maybe 150, 200 people make the trip for, for out to Muhlenberg, which is um, an hour and a half outside of Philadelphia. Uh, from the Chicago area last week from North Central. You had um, you know, people from Whitewater who had to travel to Texas two weeks ago for the Mary Harden-Baylor game. So if you're a parent or you're a uh, you know, cousin, aunt, uncle, and you love to watch these guys play, these teams have dug into their pockets already a couple times already because, remember, they're both Pool C teams. They were at-large teams in the field, and so they have not played four straight home games to get here to the Stag Bowl. And, and I do think... As exciting as it is to have this good of a matchup, a, uh, a powerhouse, nationally known program, and a program that's been a national power and has frequently uh, stubbed its toe in round two or ran into somebody really good in round two and has not been able to advance to the stag. But we actually have a great game on the field that we're looking forward to, but it does make it kind of difficult with the proximity to Christmas, with the distance from um, the two campuses. And somebody brought up to us today, kind of in a joking manner, that, uh, that, that Whitewater and, and North Central are about 90 miles apart in southern Wisconsin and uh, in the northern part of Illinois, and that, you know, if you just carved out a field somewhere in between, the, the two teams could have, could have played in front of 10,000 people, but here we are in Texas. The, the one thing I do think uh, that is outstanding about this location right now is the weather today was high 50s, close to 60 to my body, felt like 70 because when I got on the plane at Dulles, it was about 20-something. Yeah, and I think it was about minus 4 when I left Minneapolis. Yeah, it is it is like a good combination of temperature that is not too hot for you know, people, uh, players in the Midwest who have not had hot temperatures since you know the first week of October or something like that to come down here and have a game and be you know comfortable and not have to worry about you know dehydrating or getting cramps or that sort of thing. Uh, we talked about North Central. Let's stay on North Central for a little while. Uh, the one piece of news that we got on Thursday uh, was that uh, D'Angelo Hardy, the freshman wide receiver, was termed good to go. So uh, tell us, uh, remind us, Keith, what you saw from Hardy uh, last Saturday in the semis. He uh, was running a short route in the middle of the field and uh, took a hit. Brock Rutter's pass hit off his uh, outside shoulder pad, popped up to the into the air, led to the early Muhlenberg interception, but I think at either as he was being hit or as he went down, uh, injured his shoulder, only played the first two plays of the game and uh, did not come back into that game. Turns out North Central didn't need him, advanced with a 45-14 to 14 win over the Mules in the semifinals, but he is good to go in for Friday's game. Yeah, I think that'll be big, right, because, uh, you know, uh, you can try to double or bracket or do whatever you want to do to take away Kaminsky. You know, the things that Muhlenberg did not do on defense. Um, but if you do that, then, you know, somebody else has to step up. And Hardy did a good job of that, for example, against Mount Union. And even though he is a freshman, I think that they really, uh, that Rudder really counts on him. Yeah, and, and I think Hardy is a field stretcher. And usually when you use that term, you mean um, going deep. But I think North Central likes to stretch the field going across as well. So uh, the, the touchdown that Blake Williams scored against Muhlenberg was a backside. It wasn't 
I wouldn't call it a drag because it wasn't so it wasn't short, but it wasn't a deep post either, sort of a medium post, not even really a square end. But he was just coming across the field, and as Rudder was rolling out to his right, realized that somebody on Muhlenberg's defense lost their assignment. Blake Williams was by himself, and so the defense tomorrow, the the Whitewater defense is going to have to work to defend the deep ball, but also going to have to work to to get those guys crossing the field because North Central likes to sneak people in that way. Yeah, if you don't see over-the-top coverage on Kamensky ready to go tomorrow, then this is going to be over before it starts. We saw last week they just did, weren't ready to bracket him correctly, and he just got out there for four quick touchdowns. Uh, the problem is, obviously, when you're doing that, somebody else is going to be left open, but it's daring essentially North Central to find the other receivers that they're going to be comfortable with in the game both of these teams have that guess factor on offense. Let's face it. You don't know if it's going to be run or pass. You don't know which receiver it's going to go to necessarily, and you could flip the coin all day long. It's going to be a tough call, and that's why I'm kind of excited about this game. I want to see how this chess match begins to develop, and what we're talking about right here is part one of that. Will they be able to stop Kaminsky early, and what does Rudder do if that's the case? Let me go around the table. I'm just going to open up a couple of questions and just get uh, quick yes or no answers from everybody. Andrew Kaminsky needs 118 yards tomorrow on Friday to get to 2,000 for the season. Frank, does he get it, yes or no? Just short. Yes. I'll say no. I think I'm going to say yes, but I like that. That's a bold bold prediction. Uh, Ethan Greenfield, 2,031 yards on the ground. We know that uh, traditionally, the Whitewater defensive front does not like to let running backs get that number of yards on the ground. I'm going to set a number at 75, and does he go above or below that, Keith? Yes. Is that above? I said above or below. Oh, yeah, I do think it's above, uh, but I think it's going to take a significant number of carries to get there. I don't think it's going to be a 65-yard run and a, and a bunch of two-yard runs. I'm going to say no, barring one that he breaks off for 40 or 50 yards. He's going to get 125, so above. 75, I said, because I was not really sure if this was going to be above or below. So I think I'm going to take above, but I think in a similar way, it's going to take like 23 carries or something to get there. And, and I think North Central is okay with that in that they know the kind of looks that, that Whitewater gives on defense. Whitewater's not going to uh, change up what's been working for it all season, although – if they're smart, they'll give some different looks to Brock Ryder. But there's, there's no fooling a quarterback who's been a four-year starter. So the, the focus for Whitewater is to play their scheme solidly, not, not let up big plays, come up and tackle well. I've got one more of these. Brock Rudder needs 238 yards to set the all-time passing yardage record in Division Three. Does he get it, Greg? Yes. Frank? He had 193 against Muhlenberg. I still think it's a yes. Yeah, that 193 came in the first half, and, and yeah. I mean, uh, North Central shut it down mostly in the second half, handed off all but two plays. I think Brock Rudder does get there. I'm not sure we're going to see a four, 450-yard day, but we may see something over in, in the mid-200s. Who remembers who this record is currently held by? It's, uh, it's Alex Tanney, the former Monmouth quarterback, who's currently playing for the New York Giants. Not the only person with a tie to this game. Who's on an NFL roster? Who's the other? Are we sticking strictly to North Central, or do we want to talk about the Kumaro connection at this point? <laughs> I was uh, I was just picking up the other two halves of my spotting chart. Let's talk about UW-Whitewater for a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, Derek Kumaro, of course, is who we're talking about. Uh, we're actually talking about, of course, his brother, Jake Kumaro. Derek Kumaro wearing Jake Kumaro's jersey on uh, 
Wednesday night at the welcome banquet slash whatever it is now called, the introduction of the starting lineups and the mingle and the handing out of the Elite 90 and that sort of thing. The main event. Oh, the main event is also the place where it's held, right? On the uh, Whitewater side, um, I think they're going to start with the questions, and then we'll uh, and, the, and then we'll do the uh, the details coming up in a little bit. Max Myler, we talked about 15 to 34 passing last week, uh, was the team's leading rusher for Whitewater, and the quarterback rushing for that amount or you know that uh, amount of success is not uh, part of the typical Whitewater rushing game plan. But what I want to know is. Uh, what do you think Myler will be passing on Friday? And I just need attempts and completions. 15 of 30. I'm going to say somewhere in the 15 for 25 range. Ooh, effective. I, I think they're going to go back to the Mirahar and Baylor philosophy uh, from a couple weeks ago. So I think it's going to be more like uh, 9 for 16. See, I think he's going to have more success throwing the ball than he did uh, against St. John's by a little bit. Um, I think they're going to need to continue to throw because I think it's going to be a back-and-forth game. So I could see it being another 34 attempts, and then I'm going to say, like, 18 completions. So I guess that makes it 18 for 34. We're all predicting Whitewater quarterbacks to throw a lot of passes, which is not really how they traditionally operate. No, but I do think you have a potential scenario or game plan for this game, whereas if North Central uh, gets on the board early, Whitewater may feel the need to match it and, uh, and, and try to be creative to, to put some points on the board. Whitewater would prefer, I think, to ball control, run the ball with their two-headed monster tomorrow. Yeah, so uh, tell us a little bit more about that, too. There's only two. Well, Jared Ware, the third of the trio and a senior, is going to miss the Stag Bowl. He finished the semifinal game last week in a boot, and that's because he has a broken foot, so he is not going to play in Friday night's Stag Bowl. But you still have Alex Pete, the 5'8", 205-pound junior, and Ronnie Ponick, a 5'8", 200-pound senior. So you have bowling ball, bowling ball. Yeah, I never liked tackling a guy that's about 200 coming <laughs> at you. Uh, those guys I just wanted to point out combined for – uh, 295 carries, which is a little bit over 20, and for a total of 1,379 yards. So even without Ware, who added a, another 726 yards, there's still some potent uh, running game there. But really, it is a three-headed monster still, because what Myler adds, I think, to this whole equation is a running back that if he played the entire season, his running numbers would be probably right up there with them. Well, let me ask, too. So you know, now it is no longer a surprise that they do this, right, or that they can do that or this or whatever. Obviously, you're North Central now. You've seen this on tape. You can't be surprised by it. So I don't, uh, you know, it was 80-whatever yards for Myler last Saturday, 38 of them on one just completely broken coverage. He took a third-and-one runoff right tackle, and then there was nobody be there, was nobody there to, you know, be on the line of scrimmage, as often happens on short yardage plays. I just don't see – I see Myler being effective – I don't see that being a huge part of the game plan. I I figure he only I mean he only carried the ball eight times if, to get those yards. Is kind of what I'm getting at. I also think if given the way um, offensive football has evolved in college over the past five to ten years, if you're surprised by the quarterback running, you, you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> Surprise! Both of these guys will too. Yeah, I think Max Myler is is a bit of a is a bit of an X factor in this game. He's only really played. In these playoffs, I think he started one other game and did a little bit of spot duty during the season. But they seem to be doing 
a little bit more with him week after week. And, you know, Pat alluded to it. St. John's was caught completely off guard with him keeping the ball on some of those option plays and quarterback runs. You know, what, what else does Max Myler do that we don't know about yet that Whitewater is, you know, that he just hasn't had time to show off yet? I think his basketball background honestly makes him a really, really effective RPO quarterback, though, at the end of the day, to make the reads and, you know, know when to pass it, know when to run with it, ultimately. I think that's what makes him a little special. I think Joe Germanario, uh, to a certain degree, a couple of years ago, especially at Brockport, just how effective he can be on that field, because that's what I've seen the last couple of weeks when I watch him. Well, the one thing that uh, people were talking about with Myler last Saturday is that um, you know, still needing some refinement in figuring out where the open receivers are, kind of focusing on the guys who are going deep. And when, you know, you've, uh, when he has receivers out to the third level, he's not, at least on Saturday, he didn't do a great job of looking back, seeing that there were guys open in the middle of the field or guys open mid-range on the sidelines. And you know, those are the things that I think, again, can kind of come with time. And Myler has a 58% passer, close to 59 uh, during the season, if you see him hit a couple of, of of big throws early, or you see him weave a couple balls uh, into into the middle of defense an intermediate way, or hit it out along the sideline, that's going to be an early sign for you that Whitewater is going to have a nice day offensively. You know, I mean, Myler did look for that deep ball against St. John's and missed a couple. Not on him. There were a couple of really nice deep balls that went through uh, Whitewater receivers' hands. Um, which contributed to a little bit of his completion percentage. But those plays are there, and he does have the ability to throw a pretty accurate deep ball. Yeah, so that's our look, a quick look at the Whitewater offense. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about both teams and about the game and kind of just generally set the scene. But we also have conversations to bring you as well. And we're going to start with Quinn Miners. Quinn Miners is the uh, junior left guard for the Warhawks. And he talked about, in uh, among other things, blocking for a new quarterback. Quinn, congratulations first yep. on getting Thank here. You, uh, you know, it's been an interesting road, obviously. Uh, take me through last week, though, because that game was just an amazing back-and-forth affair to the degree that, uh, you, you know, St. John seemed like they were going to have that chance at the end, and, you know, you watch your team end up winning at 35-32. What were you thinking during that game? Were you thinking an oh-no, not like last year type thing uh, with uh, Mary Harden Baylor? Or what was your mentality, especially in crunch time in that game? Yeah, I think it would be surprising to a lot of people that, you know, my mentality, the whole entire sidelines mentality was it was very interesting. You know, you would, you would think, you know, as a spectator, you know, it's the nail-biter type game, but we're all just super focused. Not We're not flinching at all to anything that's happening, and really looking forward to like that next snap the next opportunity to keep going to win this game there is no, there was no you know thinking back to last year of oh no we might there is no, there was no doubt i don't think on our sideline at all i talked to uh, tevin jones uh, from Earhart and baylor yesterday actually and he uh, kind of told me it, it, when they had that 17 play drive to start the uh, game uh, against your team uh, and you know he was on defense and endured that he brought up the fact of the size of the offensive line of just how special that <laughs> offensive line is how key do you think it's been for that offensive lines growth maturation skill building etc in getting whitewater back to the point they're at right now 
Um, it really is essential because we really uh, pride ourselves at Whitewater to being able to, you know, pound the rock as the tradition is, is being able to run the football. So, you know, we have a really solid offensive line across the board of special talents and special positions that allow us to run the ball well, pass protect very well, and uh, just really excited with how our offensive line has really uh, developed. Max Miley didn't start as your quarterback this season. He was in intermittently throughout the season, especially the St. Xavier game uh, back mm -hmm. earlier in the season. But, I mean, he seems to have added a certain you know plus factor to this offense. Uh, he can run, he can pass, he's dropping dimes, mm -hmm. as a friend of mine just said uh, a little earlier on uh, this past Saturday. Saturday. How important has he been for uh, this offense and for you guys to become even better than you uh, started out the season? Yeah, it's, it's very important, you know, to have a, a guy that's back there that's really confident, and I think it really helped that, you know, we all were really good friends with him, and the support that he has, you know, with both of our quarterbacks and all the players on our team, there's just, there's a, there's a lot of support and a lot of confidence, and I think that really helps Max, you know, come into this position when most people would be like, oh my gosh, it's the playoffs, now I'm the starting quarterback, when he's just stepped in and now he's executing very well, and we're all very happy for him, you know, I know Olis is helping him a lot, you know, improve as well, so it's, it's just, it was really exciting to, you know, that we have this, such a, like a bond between our quarterbacks and just between as an offense in general that we're really we are really just uh, wanting to execute and then the we're just having really good success with what we're doing. The North Central defense is kind of the no-name defense in a lot of ways uh, this season. They gave up 52 to Mount Union. A lot of people discounted who they were. But then you look at the Muhlenberg game where they only give up 14 points. And you sort of take a step back and say, maybe they're better than what that one game would tell you. What do they look like in your eyes? And how challenging is it going to be for your line in this game? Um, yeah, they have a very good defense. You know, we respect every single defense that we go against because, um, you know, everyone's here for a reason. So you can't go into, you know, oh, they let up this amount of points. It's a different game. It's a different day, so you got to keep looking into that. Um, they bring a nice defensive front for linemen, two linebackers typically in the box, um, usually lining up in the same spots every uh, play, which just kind of helps us get, you know, our schemes uh, better. So we're looking forward to... Uh, our matchups and their matchups because they're willing to keep six guys in the box to try to stop the run. So we're really uh, excited for that opportunity to go against this defense, you know, that has some really good players. I'm asking everybody this question. I'm going to ask it to you. What would winning the Stag Bowl mean personally and to the program? Um, personally, it would just really show how much hard work that a lot of us has, have done, gone through this year. And even, you know, our record doesn't show up, but we did go through a lot of adversity this year. You know, you, everyone's talking about the quarterback situation. You know, that's kind of an adversity thing. And then, uh, you know, playing in a tough conference. Um, and as a team, it would really show, you know, that I feel like a lot of people sometimes, I guess recently, of saying, you know, Whitewater might be done. White, White, Whitewater may have had their fun. Um, but it would mean, you know, hey, we're still here competing, you know, just like we are every year. My first stack ball on the sidelines was 12 years ago. This will be my 13th. The first one was Whitewater winning their first one against Mount Union. We'll see how it goes. Congratulations yep. on helping get this team back. It. Good luck to you. Yep. Thank you. Here is Frank now uh, talking with Brian Bochamp. He is the uh, starting middle linebacker for the North Central defense.
Brian, uh, congratulations. Uh, last week, uh, the first quarter started with some ups and downs, obviously. Defenses in both teams uh, stepped up while the offenses looked a little tight. Mm -hmm. How did you guys feel coming into the Muhlenberg semifinal? Uh, confident. I mean, we were all really confident going into that game. Um, we knew that Muhlenberg was a great team, but, you know, we're always confident ourselves going in every week. Uh, so going into that game, you know, we knew that we had to get stops on defense, you know, get the ball back to our offense as much as we can. I mean, that's kind of the game plan every week when you got the number one offense in the country. Um, so going into that game, I mean, we just wanted to play loose, play fast, play our game. It's interesting because the defense gave up 52 against Mount Union, which was obviously enough to hold uh, yeah. them, but a lot, a lot of people question the strength of the defense of North Central after that game. Obviously, Mount Union is Mount Union, though. Mm -hmm. uh, since that point, you have really impressed on defense. Do you feel like you're almost like the no-name defense of sorts where people haven't given you the credit that the defense deserves to put you guys in the spot you're in right now? Yeah, I mean, it's hard when you got the number one offense in the country. They're going to get the limelight, and I mean, that's okay. We just want to get our, you know, do our jobs, get the uh, W at the end of the day. I mean, after that Mount Union game, you know, we knew that people were probably going to write us off, and, uh, you know, we just knew that no matter what happens, we just had to stick together, you know, keep being a defense as a team and uh, just go out there every single week. Max Myler on Whitewater obviously poses some interesting problems because he is efficient on the passes that he throws, but he's just as apt to run uh, in uh, that offensive scheme. You've seen the film. Give me kind of the breakdown on how do you stop that offense, especially when they're kind of preaching a more efficient game than, let's say, a you know go down and score quick type of game usually. Yeah, I mean, a game like this is all about everybody doing their job, uh, you know, making sure on first and second down where, you know, we're holding them as much as we can, getting them behind the chains. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's like that every single week. You want to get guys behind the chains, but, you know, Max poses a real, real threat, and, you know, he can throw the ball well and he can run the ball. You know, that's something that's always tough to uh, handle when you're, you know, coming from a defense. Um, so we got to make sure, you know, in the run box we're sound, but we're also playing our keys in the back end. I keep asking this question. I want you to answer too. What would this mean personally if you guys were able to take home a championship, and what would it mean to the team in your eyes? Yeah, I mean. It's been the same answer with everybody that's asked this. Uh, it's something you can't really describe. You know, I mean, to be able to bring home that first championship for our football program, it's something that, you know, has gone in way past our four years here as seniors. It's been, you know, before Coach Thorne uh, with his dad, Coach John Thorne. And, uh, you know, it just mean it would just mean the world to all of us. It's just to be able to do it for not only this senior class, but the coaches and the people that played before us. It would just be an awesome feeling. Last question. Any shout-outs for anybody? Uh, I mean, I got to thank my family for making the trip out there, uh, my sister, my brother-in-law, uh, the kids, my girlfriend coming out here. So, I mean, it's just, it's just an awesome opportunity for everybody. You know, everybody's excited around this North Central program. Everybody, you know, within the North Central community rallying around us, getting texts from, you know, everybody far and wide. It's been, it's been an awesome feeling. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you. He talks about the size of that offensive line that, uh, that the Cardinals are going up against. And, of course, uh, Whitewater used that offensive line much to its advantage, for example, in the quarterfinals against Mary Harden-Baylor. And, you know, if you're North Central, you know on defense that you have to figure out a way to get your defense off the field and get Brock Rutter back on. Yeah, I think a key for, for North Central on Friday night is to try to get some turnovers. Um, I think trying to get off the field obviously would be ideal. North Central repeated many times today as we heard them do some uh, some interviews pregame that their goal tomorrow is to stop the run. And I think that makes sense given the the relative inexperience of, of Myler as a passer. Uh, North Central also wants to give some different looks. They don't, they're not going to be able to sit in the same uh, defense the, the entire game and uh, and think that, you know, a team as good as, as UW-Whitewater will not have some adjustments and not have a, a game plan or a plan for uh, for if 
North Central loads up the box to stop the run, there's going to be a plan there for them to try to uh, push the ball down the field. So I, I think that you're going to see North Central take a few risks, maybe some you know, in, in situations where it makes sense to do so, um, third and long, maybe second and long uh, or second and short where a team, teams like to take deep shots. You may see them, uh, you know, try to try to uh, do something on plays like that. But I think, besides just being solid and trying to get off the field and not let Whitewater string drives together and control the clock, you're going to have to see North Central tr try to get turnovers or uh, take some risks in terms of of blitzing or or changing up coverages. And I think North Central being on, I mean, they haven't really been stopped all postseason or really all year outside of one game really and if i mean if you're north central you want to get the ball back to brock rudder in the offense because if they have 14 or 15 possessions you got to feel like you're going to get 40 points and good luck to whoever else wants to try and top that well let's draw the comparison between the the strength of wheaton which is the one team that slowed or shut even North Central down for a half, slowed them down for the game, and Whitewater. So, you know, uh, of course, everybody has said that uh, the key to that game was getting the defense, uh, the defensive line, especially with the front four for Wheaton, and getting Rudder on his back. Rudder was sacked seven times in that game. Whitewater uh, bringing pressure from just the front four on Saturday in the national semifinals, sacked Jackson Erdman seven times, and, of course, the guys up front to keep an eye on are uh, Jordan Brand, 13 and a half sacks. Uh, Nico Lemke, not even listed as a starter technically, but with 12 sacks. Uh, Justin Hansen, four sacks. Um, you know, what they don't have is they don't have Mackenzie Balanganayi, who got hurt in the uh, first round game against Monmouth. But Whitewater is basically, um, I can't say basically because I'm not the X's and O's guy uh, for either of these teams, but on paper, they're going to try to do the same thing that Wheaton did by bringing pressure with the front four and making Rudder do things that he doesn't want to do. Well, I mean, I, th I think ideally you'd love to have seven guys in coverage on any play, but if you are not getting to Brock Rudder and he has time to throw or if he's just getting the ball out quickly because North Central's running a lot of short stuff, um, that plays into North Central's favor. I also think you may see some screens and some draws and um, some creative ways for North Central to use that Whitewater pass rush against it, especially if they're having some success with it early. You'll look to it, especially early in series, you know, in a first and long, second and long situation, you'll see some draws or some, uh, some screens. I also think we talked with some folks uh, in, the, in the lobby about the plan that teams have when they've been to the Stag Bowl. Just, ran, just random people checking into the hotel. There, well, there were there were people there watching TV and drinking <laughs> beer. I'm assuming they were fans of one of the programs. But uh, I digress. the The theory is that Stag Bowl week, six day week, it's shorter, and so it's also this deep in the season. You can't install a whole lot of new stuff. And I think Whitewater, having been through this before, Kevin Bullis wasn't the head coach through uh, the the six appearances, but he was on staff for some of the previous Stag Bowls. So. Uh, he knows how this is done, and you don't try to reinvent the wheel the week of the Stag Bowl because you're traveling, you're uh, taking finals in, in uh, many cases. Keep the game plan tight and simple. But it did not sound like that was North Central's plan. It sounded like North Central was, was going to try to be creative, and I think that'll be something 
interesting to watch early in tomorrow's game. So it, interesting you say this because I got to, uh, got to speak twice in the last couple of days with the coach Bullis. Uh, first, he told me they went and found the 2014, you know, uh, how to do a stag bowl uh, scenario for back from the Salem days. And obviously not all of it was <laughs> applicable here uh, for his team. But uh, today I was talking with him about just the experience factor. And he told me a story, you know, it, first off, he said, we are masters. And this is where you learn from Lance Leipold, actually. And he thanks him immensely for this lesson, which is, how to make this just week 16 and not make this into it's stag bowl week that essentially your procedures and everything else are the same coming into this game. It is another game. It's easy to say it, but to execute it that way, is a whole different thing. And he told me his first stag bowl he was involved in, he said 2008, he was so caught up in the moment in the, of the game. He actually cost his team a timeout and kicked himself because he's never done that type of thing before at this level. And yet when he was in Salem and out there, it got to him. And then he learned from that experience, get past that, that this is not, you can't let this stage do that to you. Can North Central get past that point? They too have been preaching the whole, it's just another game thing. But again, to preach it and to do it are two entirely different things. It's a big moment. It's got to be a big moment for them here, and we'll see whether or not they can get past it. Brock Rudder is pretty humble, and at the same time, he's a competitor out there. I, I don't think it's going to get to him too much, but what about the rest of the team? Yeah, I mean, I think you can make a counterpoint to, to both of these arguments if the conventional wisdom is that Whitewater, as the program with six championships, is the one that's used to this and calm and collected. It's certainly valid to say they have a, a folder somewhere on some computer that says how to do Stag Bowl week. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the players on Whitewater's team have never been here before, so this is all uh, brand new to them. Now, they've traveled for playoff games the past few seasons, been to Texas a couple times, but the, they've never played in a national championship game. And Bullis has never been the head coach in one, right? And Peter Jennings has never been the offensive coordinator, and Rob Erickson has never been the defensive coordinator in one of these games, right? Excellent name dropping right there. Yeah, I, that's basically almost the entire reason I interrupted you is to get the names of the coordinators in there. Well, honestly, we should know coordinator <laughs> names, you know what I mean, yeah. at, the, at this level. Um, and maybe we'll try to name drop uh, Shane Durking. I was going to say Brad Spencer, but okay. Yeah, well, well, then we got them both. There you go. Great. Could you get the broom with me and we could sweep these names off the floor? <laughs> um, but I think the other half of the counterpoint that the moment may not be too big for North Central is uh, goes back to some stories they were telling last week in the postgame at Muhlenberg about week one. Season started at Christopher Newport, and f right from the beginning, flight got delayed or canceled. So instead of flying into Norfolk, they flew into D.C., rent some buses in D.C. and find some things to do, including talk to Coach Thorne's favorite author. And then on the way down... They sent, they sent one bus ahead, and that bus breaks down, and the, and the trailing bus also breaks down. And there's, they're talking about this, this you know, moment where they're on the side of the road or under an overpass or whatever, and they start laughing. And, like, everything that can go wrong has gone wrong, and here we are, you know, blessed to be playing football or, or whatever the feeling was. And ever, ever since then, They've, they've kind of, whenever they ran into adversity, they, they, the way they tell it is that, you know, they kind of look at it and laugh. So that may be something that they could take into the game tomorrow. Now, part of the stories, too, were uh, 
when they got checked into their hotel at Muhlenberg, there was like bed bugs and somebody had blood on their sheets and all kinds of weird stuff. And so they were like, we're checking out of this hotel, but they left. And I think you heard all those guys on, on Thursday in production meetings talking about um, the, the Wheaton game being a real kick in the pants for them. I don't know if wake up call is the right word, but there's some balance between adversity is not too big, too big for us. We can laugh. Uh, when things don't go our way, and at the same time, get the proper message from it, turn it up a notch. I see your counterpoint, and I'll go for a counter-counterpoint for a second. Uh, okay, uh, two-minute rebuttal. Yes. Uh, Coach Bowles brings up uh, to me today the Oshkosh game. The timing of that game was pretty crucial because it's almost like a coach's dream. You're still going to get your playoff bid. Granted, you may lose some home games in the process, but – you have the best example ever in week 11 going into week 12 of the playoffs to say to your team, look at us. We, we aren't perfect. We need to work. We can't f- you just lay back here. And the question I would ask you guys uh, to the degree you want to answer it is, which loss is the better loss to have? Remember, this is the first time since 1999, Rowan Pacific Lutheran, that we've had a stag bowl with a loss on each side of the ledger for the teams. Which loss is a better loss ultimately to line up these teams for the rest of their season at that point. I'll answer that for you in about 24 hours. (laughs) I mean, I think maybe for, for Whitewater losing to Oshkosh and and sort of the way that the end of that game happened, which sort of forced their hand with a quarterback change that has worked out well for them this postseason. I think you know, adjusting to a loss, if that's the the angle that you're after, Frank, I think then that one is. Because I don't know how much North Central really changed what they did after the Wheaton game. I think they just blocked better. Like, it's a combination of, you know, maybe their offensive line stepped up a little bit more in games after that. And also, you know, there aren't many front fours like Wheaton's front four. So, you know, I don't know that North Central had to do much different after – after Wheaton, whereas Whitewater, you know, very clearly needed to try and shake something up on offense. Yeah, it definitely, it prompts a change in personnel that uh, so far has paid some pretty good dividends. Uh, We learned on Thursday also that uh, Brock Rudder was playing that Wheaton game with a broken rib, which was, uh, which was completely news to us. I think that has not been really talked about publicly. He didn't even practice for two weeks after that. Uh, I, I can imagine that that is probably something that is part of it too. But, you know, the players also talked about, uh, and they, they talked about this without Coach Thorne present, um, which I think, you know, adds a little bit of genuineness to it, genuinity. No making up words. Genuineness to it in that, you know, they saw that uh, when they looked at the game on film, you know, that there were people who were not necessarily going all out, that they weren't giving it their 100%, and that's something that changed after that game also. I'd say that's unreal, but you said it was really genuine, so. <laughs> Thanks for that. Well, you also have heard North Central folks uh, repeat this line that they've been in playoff mode since week four mm-hmm. and uh, that they internalized it. So the, the Wheaton loss back on October 5th, so this is like two and a half months now that they've been like next loss our season is done, and uh, essentially it has been. You know, and I don't know that Wheaton had, I mean, that North Central had to change a whole lot. Their opponents after Wheaton were Augustana, Carroll, Carthage, Elmhurst, which were 
solid teams, but none of them uh, scored more than 14. North Central was putting up 62, 82, 42 in weeks like that. So I think North Central was a very good team all along, and the change probably happens after the Wheaton loss and after the Mountain Union win. But I think that's a good point about North Central being in playoff mode and having that elimination mentality from the little brass bell game forward because they've been on the they've been on the bad side of eight and two and out of the tournament. Um, so they know as a program you can't lose twice, and they also knew as a program uh, at the time of that game Wheaton had already. I mean that was it for Wheaton. Wheaton had no more real challenges left in league play. So North Central was in the at-large pool from the 1st of October on. And I'd say you could get uh, a future story about that. You could get a future story about uh, fighting one more round. Uh, and, of course, you can get uh, one more future story about the uh, North Central offensive line. All of those on D3Football.com. got this podcast uh, on a Thursday night, even presumably before it's too late, even on the East Coast. That relies now on me to edit it. On Friday morning, you'll have our quick hits and, of course, quick hits expanding a little bit. Uh, Greg, why don't you tell us a little bit about what quick hits looks like for the Stag Bowl? It's Stag Bowl week, and our quick, our hits are not as quick, and it, it feels like we need more than six people to pick. So we've got... Uh, Two folks on either side, uh, North Central and UW-Whitewater, joining us. We have uh, Steve Hlavak. I think uh, so. I never had to call his name, so I'm not sure. Oh, wow. So, I mean, P101 me on that if you need to. But uh, Steve Hlavak was a uh, wide receiver for North Central in 2010, the last time North Central played Whitewater. And uh, Grant Sabo, who is uh, North Central's color analyst on their uh, web stream during the season, he is a guest predictor as well and on the uh whitewater side we have uh all-american cornerback brady gravold from uh the 2014 stag bowl champion the last stag bowl champion for whitewater uh he's picking with us as well as gary douglas who is a play by uh, whitewater's play-by-play announcer yeah, and so we will. Uh, we've done that every year since 1999, and typically the collective result has been a pretty good predictor. <coughs> 2003. So um, you know, keep an eye out for that. And then, of course, uh, on Friday afternoon, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central, we'll have live pregame coverage from the stadium at Wood Forest Bank Stadium, uh, anchored by Frank Rossi and Greg Thomas, and then we will have, of course. Interviews, as previously mentioned, with both head coaches, interviews with players. Uh, we have, I know, a contingent of North Central alumni who are making the trip down that we uh, intend to uh, get on the air to talk about making it to the Stag Bowl for the first time, uh, trying to hook up with some uh, Whitewater alumni as well. And then we will tell you who won the Gallardi Trophy. And then we're going to tell you who the D3Football.com All-Americans are. And then, starting at 7.04 p.m. Central Time, we will broadcast the game. And, of course, you can find links to all of that on the front page of D3Football.com. Can I uh, throw in one plug, though? Uh, Did I forget something? Well, no, you didn't You didn't forget anything. Oh, good. But 
Because uh, those are the only things that I have set up so far. Sparkle Man makes his return uh, to the sideline with you guys, uh, and uh, that is uh, me wearing something outlandish uh, in honor of Craig Sager. Uh, Sager Strong Foundation has uh, picked up some of the stuff I've done over the last few years, and this year we wanted to actually raise some money behind it. And uh, if you go to at Frank Rossi uh, or look me up on uh, Facebook, uh, Frank Rossi, or on In the Huddles page, uh, you will see uh, links set up for a uh, donation drive for the Sager Strong Foundation. Uh, we would like to do something special to, on top of just wearing something foolish out there. And uh, we've already got about $400 as of this recording. So uh, please, if you can give more, uh, do so. Yeah, Frank Rossi, of course, has been the... Uh Frank, I refer to him in the third person. Frank has been the uh, the sideline guy on our broadcast now for like 12 years running, 13? This is uh, season 13 on the sideline for you. Your well, first one was the first Mount Union Whitewater Stag Bowl. It was the first one that Whitewater won, actually, in 2007, Pierre Garçon's senior year. I was going to say, I was on the sideline in 2005. That was not a bright idea, huh? I actually enjoyed doing the sideline. Um, and Pat Cummings called that game. You remember? I do remember working with Pat. I remember working with Mark Simon. For those of you who are this deep in the podcast, uh, welcome to to this moment in D3Football.com history. <laughs> I, I do think digging up the old players for the quick hits is um, is one of the coolest things that we do. I I would love to do more of it, but I feel like the you know the North Central alums are going to pick North Central. The Whitewater guys are going to pick Whitewater, and so you do need some folks like us in the middle to try to balance it. But that doesn't mean we always have a good read on on what the game is going to look like. I got 38-28. You'll have to click to see who. But it could. I also could very much see North Central struggling offensively early in this game and having a hard time dealing with that, where you know they haven't struggled really at all this season, or at least not since the fourth quarter of the Wheaton game. So um, just because we put a pick out there and we think that's what's going to happen, certainly can go other other ways. We've had years where we thought it was going to be a high-scoring stag bowl and it was 13-10. 10-7, <laughs> yeah. We whatever. thought it was going to be another great Whitewater-Mountain Union matchup and Whitewater hung 52 on them. So, you know, tune in to us preferably, but tune in however you can. Be here in, at Wood Forest Bank Stadium in Shenandoah because I think, and I think the three of you agree, uh, this is one of the really um, tantalizing matchups that we have um, have had in a stag bowl in a long while. I think you gave away kind of your pick. I hate to tell you. Yeah, it's not really a secret. Um, Other than the fact that you get to see it on free and all the details and the score on D3Football.com on Friday. Yeah, I think in pod 268 you kind of made it clear, but that's fine. Also – you know, sometimes your picks are wrong, and that happens. Wait. People tweet at you and let you know. That's never happened. It so never Somebody ever actually happened. came up to me uh, yesterday and said, Keith gave away the Glory uh, Trophy champion uh, winner. I was like, I don't know how, because I don't know who it is, and if anybody would know, I would. It, 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 you said something, I guess, on Monday. I didn't listen to the whole thing. Uh, I perished the thought. And people you, are like, oh, you knew what you were talking about, apparently? No, you didn't know. Uh, it's true. It's true. I had no advance Knowledge, I stumbled into maybe naming the correct person. 50-50 chance, really, let's be honest. Right, right? we thought it was going to be either Erdman or Rudder. I felt like as the playoffs went on, um, it, it I don't want to say it became clear that it was Rudder. I just think maybe Rudder being new to it um, and beating Mountain Union, which is the most monumental thing you can do in D3 outside of beating Whitewater tomorrow night. 
what, Friday night. Um, I think that that it would be shocking if it wasn't Rudder, but Erdman, the the defending Gallardi Trophy winner, passed for 5,000 yards a season, certainly deserving as well. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, right? Uh, you held your vote until after the Mountain Union game. I held my vote until after the Mountain Union game, but there were 38 other voters who didn't necessarily do that. So yeah, I think that's the question, is that people who voted early, I can see them voting for Erdman. People who voted late, I can see them voting for Rudder. And it's probably just going to be a matter of who voted and when we count the absentee ballots. And we'll find out 6 p.m. Uh, Central Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the D3Football.com Stagpole 47 pregame show. And this was a D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 269, released on December 19th, 2019. That is season 13, number 32. Thanks for listening, and of course, keep an eye out for the rest of the coverage as previously detailed, not only before the game, but during the game and after the game and for the rest of 2019 and into the 2019-2020 offseason. If you like this podcast, you know how these things work. Please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or Bob's Podcasts here. That's how we find other people to find out about this podcast. Uh, I think, you know, sharing it with your following, with your friends, many of whom probably went to college with you and may also be interested in Division Three football. That is a great way to get more people to find out about this podcast. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Lots of audio. Again, this edition from Frank Rossi, and thank you for that. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering a post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at DJMentos.com, also on Spotify. Thanks to our guests on this podcast, Quinn Miners and Brian Bochap, along with Sports Information Directors Chris Decky and Clark Teuscher and everybody, of course, who is also involved in the production of the Stag Bowl down here in Shenandoah, Texas. Uh, thanks for helping make this podcast possible. Of course, thanks to our guest analysts on this production, Greg Thomas and Frank Rossi, and thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. Hey, friend who I went to college with. Do you sometimes wonder what's going on on the D3 landscape? <laughs> and just wish there was someone who could explain to you why there are only five at-large bids? Why the Stag Bowl is in Texas? Do you wish that somebody could tell you why Max Myler has only completed 58% of his passes, but may complete 65 or 70 tomorrow? Well, I've got the answer for you. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, hosted by... Everybody's favorite host, Pat Coleman, and that other guy. He, he, that handsome devil, Keith McMillan? How many the, times per week can I hear this podcast? Usually two, although we'll have a third after, one. After the Stag Bowl, the grand finale of 2019, where we'll talk about All-Americans. The D3Football.com Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year. We hold those out as long as possible. Coach? After that, not going to be two times a week. I'm just going to level with you. I have to say, your promo right there sounded almost exactly like the old 
D3Football.com Game of the Week promo we had when we used to broadcast games. Do you remember that? I vaguely remember it. It wasn't me on the on the uh, promo, though. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, I know Ray Martell wrote it, and then the, the, the voiceover guy at WFAN actually voiced it for us, which was great. Nice. Much uh, better than that. Well, on the D3Football.com Game of the Week, live, right in your home. <laughs> like, do, can you do Dave McHugh's podcast intro? And now, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. He enunciates very well because he's a professional. <laughs> Unlike you, us. <laughs> I thought you meant the introduction for Hoopsville, which is, I can't do that. Oh, well, for you guys who uh, dive into D3 Hoops as soon as the Stag Bowl's over or have been doing it since October, more power to you. Um, How are the little giants in basketball, Greg? <laughs> They're okay. Um, six and four currently, which is probably not where we expected them to be. But, you know, we got a little youth battling through some injuries. Tough league. We'll, you know, 2020 is going to be uh, a, a fun couple of months for the little giants. Well, I want to look at Union's basketball team since we're talking basketball. They're 4-1. and one. Congratulations, Chris Murphy, head coach of the men's basketball team at Union College. Why have you only played five games and Wabash has played ten? Most schools, that's just November. Apparently, Union just doesn't like to play conference. basketball. Maybe Frank just can't tell a conference record from an overall. Well, actually, I'll tell you, we, we got some of this uh, analysis from Brock Rutter earlier. Union is a trimester school. And so they actually had a gap from the 12th of November to the 6th of December, and another gap, obviously, in December to January. Uh, Brock Rutter talked about, we didn't know this, I don't think, North Central switched from trimester to semester this year and said that the second round game became a lot more focusable, if that's a word, am I making one up? It's not. But nonetheless, they could focus more on the game because they went to a semester system and they weren't in the heart of finals in round two like uh, they have been. Uh, Union College is still trimester. I can attest to the fact that they were struggling with that when they were in their second round game. Coach Barron talked about that on the podcast that you didn't listen to. Actually, I was also going to say that uh, North Central <laughs> talked about switching from trimesters to semesters on pod 264. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time. 